0: It's in reading Psalm 119 and praying through Psalm 119. I think the Lord, for, for most all of us that were able to participate in that, it was, it was, it was a constant reflection of, of my heart and a constant realigning of my feet in the Word of God and wanting to know and to practice His Word. And in the book of Malachi, there will be likewise a, a huge contrast, a contrast that when you first read it, you're left feeling hopeless and even frustrated. For me, when I read Malachi right away, my instinct is like a parent who sees a child that you love and care for doing something that's foolish and dangerous for themselves. And you correct them and say, what are you doing? Don't do this. And then if you're a parent or you've ever served a tour in the preschool ministry or kids ministry, you've had one of those moments. I encourage you to pray about doing that. Subliminal plug. But when you do that and you correct that child, For me, anyway, there's a buffer of about five seconds where all of a sudden I realize, okay, Lord, that's kind of how I must be to you. I know I shouldn't do that, but I did that. Why did I do that? That's dangerous. It's foolish. What are you doing? In the book of Malachi, we can read it with that initial instinct to say, Israel, what are you doing? You have so much truth, so many blessings that God has shown you. He's brought you back into the land from captivity. You've rebuilt the walls. You've rebuilt the temple. Why are your your hearts so hard again so quickly? How have you possibly forgotten the Lord? What's wrong with you? And yet, like with the child, the book of Malachi There's this buffer, and then there's this awareness of, oh Lord, my own heart can become so quickly hard toward you in my love, and in my worship, and in my ethics. How quickly I can judge the Lord and accuse Him of injustice. How quickly my heart can go from a Sunday morning worship service where I'm filled and joyful and reminded of the Lord to waiting way too long at noon during, through the drive-through line. Or get short in a conversation with my wife. Or just wait till my children can go to sleep and I can have some alone time and how quickly I can turn hard-hearted. That the Lord, through this text, through this great Word of God, would ever tenderize our hearts and realign us like the psalmist of 119 into the goodness and his faithfulness. He is unchanging. He does not forget his promises. And he is worth the whole of our lives. Individually, as believers, and as a church body, he is worth Our lives, every moment, our future goals and aspirations, our resources, everything the Lord gives us, He truly is worthy of our lives. That's the message of Malachi. It's filled with bad news and good news. So as you read the Old Testament, you see this spin out again and again. The people are exposed to truth and they're blessed, and the Messiah will come through their line. And in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, Paul identifies for Israel, the nation of Israel, the blessing that God has given them. All these different blessings, about eight of them or so. And yet with all this exposure of truth and God's grace and blessings in their lives and in their history, their hearts again cyclically become hardened. And Malachi leaves us with this expectancy of, Lord, only you can soften the hearts. We can try hard, but only you can turn the heart. And we leave Malachi 400 years before God, the eternal Son, would take on flesh. God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father would send the Son. Eternity passed. The Son would come 400 years after the writing of this book. Malachi would take on flesh, fully God, fully man. And Jesus would interact with the religious leaders of Israel. Who didn't have a king in the sense of at this time of Malachi, but they would have governors. Persia would still be the, the, the great power until we open up the New Testament to Matthew, and where the Romans have now seceded them. And Jesus interacts with Israel, and he interacts with Israel's leaders. And Jesus will reference Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You worship me in vain. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus identifies the problem. The problem isn't what goes into your lips that makes you impure and unclean before me. The problem is with your heart. It's from within, out of the man comes evil thoughts, and he lists about a dozen other sins. This is what comes out of you is what what makes you impure. Malachi leaves us with the reality of, Lord, please bring the Messiah. And in this book, like a mountain range... Prophet Malachi comes and he gives foretelling the people to repent and, and forth of the Messiah that will come. And we see two comings of, of Jesus like a like a mountain range. I didn't make this that example up. It's a great example, though. So if you looked at a, ma- at a mountain range like the mountain range just east of town, I was hoping one of you freshmen would be like, what? Coming to school here and I didn't even know there was mountains here? It's great. But if you see a mountain range, they look so close together. But in reality, the peaks might be miles apart. And in the book of Malachi, as with so many of the prophetic books, the statement might be speaking of Jesus' first coming, and then just a couple verses later, speaking of his second coming. And that's what we'll see in this letter, but, but both give us an expectancy of dependency upon the Messiah that will come, the Lord who can change hearts. In this letter, then, we have good news and bad news. There's a multitude, great commentaries, great resources by which you can see structures of the book of Malachi. But what I would like to do for us in our time together is just to give us some bad news and some good news, just like the gospel. Gospel means the good news of the Lord, the declaration of the Lord. For each of us in our lives, if you know Jesus Christ, every one of us has bad news. If we don't understand the bad news, you'll never understand the good news. And the bad news is that all of us are in sin. We're rebels against a holy and just God. And God in his goodness and his justice must pour out his wrath upon the wicked, and we are wicked. Yet God in his great love for us would send Jesus fulfilling all the demands of the scriptures. That Jesus would come and would be tempted, and yet he would be pure. And he would lay his life down on the cross Shedding His blood for us, giving His life for us to bring salvation to His people. He defeated death and He rose again. And all people that will turn and place their faith and trust in Jesus will have assured salvation in Christ. And those of us who are His, who are in Christ, were to live a life honoring for His glory, being and making disciples for all of our days, for all of our life telling people of Jesus before He comes again, before the day of judgment does come and will come, and as the Scriptures in Malachi teach, will turn the wicked into stubble. It's good news because the bad news is true. The bad news isn't easy to hear, but it's true. The good news is sweet because the bad news is true, and the good news is just as true. In Jesus, we have hope and forgiveness. So in the book of Malachi, let's begin first with the bad news before we look at the good news. The bad news is that the people and priests of Israel have a serious heart problem. The people and priests of Israel have a serious heart problem. And it's going to be marked through our reading after this summary of Malachi, this little sermon this morning. bud is going to come forward, one of our elders, and he's going to read the book for us. We're going to read Malachi before we take the Lord's Supper together as a church family. And as you read it, you're gonna notice several of these statements that God gives through Malachi to the people. Malachi is he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1, 20 through 21. None of these were originated simply by the prophet. No prophecy came about by the will of man, but, but men of God were led along to speak from God, led along by the Holy Spirit. Malachi speaks these words, and we'll see these statements all littered throughout but you say type statements where God gives truth and exposes their sin and their hard-heartedness and the people respectively, like a bouncy ball off of a wall, simply bounce back. And They bounce back with the response almost without thinking with a, but you say, and God anticipates their statement, but you say, and then the counter response arguing back to the Lord. We see it flesh out in at least three categories Self-focused love, self-focused worship, and self-focused ethics. Israel, the people that God has chosen as a people for his own possession, a people that are to be a light to the nations. Israel, the city on the hill for the world, to be ultimately evangelistic the Great Commission, because they were to be so devoted to the Lord. They will deny his love, self-focused love, self-focused worship, and self-focused ethics. They were to be a people that were so committed to Yahweh the Lord and their love and their worship and their ethics that even though they were least of these type people, God's strength would be shown strong through their life. And yet here he accuses them and goes to the heart of the matter. I love you, but you say to the Lord, how have you loved us? How have you loved? showed your preference to us how have you chosen us their hearts are hardened the antagonism antagonism and hostility it's a big word so here's what antagonism kids here's what antagonism is have you ever had a moment children children look at me real quick that was cool you did that was amazing I didn't know if that would work or not I don't know what to do now I wasn't expecting that so so kids listen have you ever had a moment where you were just kind of in such a bad mood toward your parent or grandparent that everything that they told you, you said no? Just right away, you said no. You were feeling defiant, and you just said no. And they would say things even that you liked. How are you doing today? No. Right. Would you like some ice cream after church? No. Even though your heart is saying, I want ice cream after church. But in reality, you're so antagonistic, you're so defiant that you just say, no. That's what we see with Israel, God's chosen nation. Their heart is so defiant and all the truth that the Lord exposes them with, they hit them back with a but you say and then a defiant response. The no's of Israel that show their hard hearts. So the hostility is real. Their hearts are hardened against the Lord and they deny his love for them. His favor upon them. And so we'll see how the Lord responds to that. We'll look at that next week as we dive into Malachi 1, 1 through 5. But self-focused love, secondly, self-focused worship. Self-focused worship, just like how in, when we went through any of the letters, when we go through, through Galatians, we go through any of the letters, we're always wise to go to the book of Acts and to see the interaction by which Paul or the gospel first comes to those cities, or regions. That gives us some helpful background. For the book of Malachi, Nehemiah serves as our book of Acts. Nehemiah gives us helpful background information because the people have come back into the land. They've built the walls. They've built the temple. And specifically, we're not going to read it, but I I, I really encourage you uh, to write down Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah 13 is going to give us a really good understanding of the culture that's taking place. So Malachi written right on the heels, or even maybe even during the time of Nehemiah. And so, at the very least, maybe a generation or a two max removed. And the same warnings that Nehemiah, the same fears he has for the people. The priests aren't doing their job. They're lazy. They're not doing what God's called them to do. As these intermediaries, these these people for making right sacrifices. And keeping the Lord before the people, and we'll see a second application he's going to give in Nehemiah thirteen that the people seem to be getting worse, even though they've been exposed to truth. The priests are offering to the Lord gross worship. So, when you look in verse six, the priest respond to the Lord's accusations, and they say, how have we despised your name? And he he says, you've polluted the altar. And they respond, how have we polluted the altar? The priests, the people that are be a sacred people, are hard-hearted. And they're defiant. And the Lord points out to them, listen, would you offer this to your governor? They don't have a king at the time. Would you offer this to your governor? Like, if somebody showed up with what you're offering to me at the church potluck, would you eat it? Or would you decide today is a good day to fast, right? That's the type of sacrifices that they're bringing to the Lord. They're bringing gross, maimed animals to the Lord, who is holy and just and and in His grace tells the people how to know Him, to worship Him, and to please Him. They respond to this interaction in verse 13 of chapter 1, and they say, what weariness this is. Even though God shows them exactly their guilt, and their guilt's on the table. They respond back to God defiantly. Well, this is too much. What weariness this is. You remember last week, we looked a little bit about that example. And we spoke about how the psalmist had peace, this cycle of peace, as he set his hope in the Lord by his word. And in basing his hope in the Lord by his word, he practiced those things. The word of the Lord. As he practiced the word of the Lord by his covenant, then he fell more in love with the Lord by his word, and more delighted in the Lord, and this led him to become more aware of the Lord in his life, and his presence, and it led to a greater hope. Israel at this time is the counterfeit example of hope. They're no longer hoping in the Lord, they're going through some motions, but they're not hoping in the Lord. Their hope now is in their self, their pursuit of pleasure as they begin to, to marry, continue to marry foreign women and to worship foreign gods. And therefore, they practice the things of the world. And in practicing the things of the world, that's where we see this third component that reveals a hardened heart through our love, through our worship, and through our ethics, that third component. Through our love, through our worship, and through our ethics. So Israel is violating the greatest commandment. And the first two components, that's the problem, their love and their worship. When Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? What's he say? To love, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength through everything. Then Jesus gives them a plus one. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Because they're not loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, because they're not being Israel, who they're supposed to be, the natural reflection is that they'll violate the second, and they do in grievous ways. Not only do they not love their neighbor as themselves, they don't even love their spouse's. They're finding any reason to just punt on those relationships and pursue their pleasures and passions against the clear teaching of the word of the Lord. So they don't honor the Lord in their their, their marriage and their life, but they also have changed their standard totally. So you look at verse 17 of chapter 2. You say that everyone who does evil is good. Their standards are warped. Chapter 2, verse 17, and chapter 3, 13 through 15, highlight this. So earlier, if you remember in chapter 1, verse 13, we just talked about it, the people said, remember the priest said, the way you want us to worship you, Lord, it wearies us. And now the Lord says that they have wearied him. You weary me by what you're doing. Your standard is totally skewed. And you're accusing me, even though you're being faithless to the covenant promise, the Lord says to Israel, your standards of judgment are totally reversed, and you're accusing me of what you're doing. Application for our lives right now, though we're not going to dive into that text. I feel like a hungry kid wanting to eat an ice cream cone, but I have to smell it. I can't dive into it. This is tough. The application for our lives is that in the seasons when we're tempted to accuse God of injustice, it's not the Lord who has changed. He's unchanging. He's unchanging. It's our standards that have become skewed by the standards of man. And then finally, it shows itself through their finances, and and they give God in chapter 3, verse 8, this question. The Lord accuses them. He says, you are robbing me. And they say, how have we robbed you? The Lord gives them this present ongoing aspect. You're continuing to rob me. And a lot of times when we hear the book of Malachi, this is why we're calling it heart problems. A lot of times if you hear Malachi, you might hear somebody just give an application and say, listen, this book talks about giving and tithing. Well, this, talks has got this, this, tech, this book has some information on, on marriage, and it does. But what it reveals is hardened hearts that blossom in a multitude of ways as sin pollutes the heart, even of Israel. So how much more for the nations? Sin pollutes us and it poisons us. And God says, you're robbing me And they say, how have we robbed you? Right away, they take his statement and they put it in past tense as though they're not currently actively doing so. So that's the bad news. The bad news is the book of Malachi leaves us with a sense of, I feel hopeless. That's the bad news. But the good news, the good news is first that the Lord loves Israel, his covenant people. Look at chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, the good news. The Lord loves Israel, His covenant people. The Lord is faithful to His promises. He loves them in spite of them. He loves them. He's chosen them. He's going to bring the Messiah through them. He will keep a treasured possession. The good news is that the Lord loves Israel and He keeps His promises. Second, the Lord will be feared and glorified among the nations through Israel's blessing or judgment. As you read through the story of Scripture in the Old Testament, Roman Wally does a tremendous job leading through this, exactly that, looking at the story of Scripture in this fall semester of servant leadership training. And in doing so, we, we see again and again, it seems like the people are, are going to blow it, and they blow it, but God always keeps a remnant. God always keeps this line going to the Messiah. He's faithful. The Lord will be feared and glorified among the nations. So in Malachi, we see two components of this through God's judgment of Israel, he's still going to bless the nations. But also his judgment of the nations, he will also be glorified. And the book of Romans, chapter 9 through 11, show us that you and I, if you're in Christ, if you turn and place your faith and trust in Christ, you're a part of that multitude of the nations that have been grafted into the promises of Israel in this time of hardening that's happened in Israel. And a day will come in which Israel will be soft and they will be grafted back in once the fullness of Gentiles have come to faith in Christ. But the good news is that God keeps His promises. that The nations will be blessed even when Israel is unfaithful. His plans will come to fruition. So we have hope through this book. And in chapter 3 we see a picture of there of him challenging them to give. And what he's saying is, I will bless you, Israel, so much that the nations will not have any choice but to look at you and to say, you and your God is amazing. Like somebody looking at a beautiful baby. You ever seen a beautiful baby? If you're married and you're sitting next to your spouse and you have a kid, you better say, yes, I've seen a beautiful baby. My baby is so beautiful. (laughs) But you've you've seen a baby and it's like somebody that sees this beautiful baby and just reflexively has to compliment the mother. Or the parents, oh, that, that baby, is your baby's beautiful. That's what God says He's going to do to Israel. He's going to bless them in such a way that the rest of the nations have to look and say, oh, wow, I know it's not you all, you're a weak people. The Lord's glory has been demonstrated to you. Look at His favor He's shown upon you. And It brings joy and blessing to the nations. So through blessing or judgment, God will be glorified even among the nations. Third, the Lord does not change. He always keeps His promises. Therefore, though disobedient, his covenant people will not be consumed. He will always have his treasured possession who fear and who serve him. What good news it is that the Lord does not change. Israel's ways change, but the Lord is steadfast to his promises. We talk a lot about that in chapter 3. And then finally, the Lord will change the hearts of his people. What's good news? Good news is that the Lord will change his hearts of the people. Listen, you and I are evidence of that. A day will come when the Lord will bring salvation to, to the fullness of Israel. The nation of Israel will have their hearts changed to the Messiah, they will come to faith in Jesus Christ. But you and I are evidence, and ever since Christ has come, you and I are evidence today. Believers, for the last 2,000 years, that the Lord is in the business of taking hard hearts and softening them. The Lord is in the business, as he says at the end of chapter 4, of taking hearts of fathers and turning them towards their sons and taking the hearts of sons and turning them to their fathers, meaning to abide back in the promises of God. Turn them from what they're trusting in and make them and lead them to trust in the Lord. So it gives us hope as a congregation to say, even the people in my life that seem the most hard-hearted, listen, The Lord is in the business of changing hearts. Give the gospel. Faithfully point people to Christ. He is in the business of changing hearts. Next steps. Next steps. Three aspects I I would pray that would come forth in our lives through this whole series. Number one, our love, worship, and ethics ought to reflect a distinguished fear of God, a marking that we're God's people, His treasured possession, who are called to serve Him with our lives and our lips. So here's a question. Will I make it a habit to ask myself, am I fearing and following God in this decision or area of my life on a regular basis? Taking time, scheduled in. Lord, am I fearing you in my marriage? Am I fearing you in my schooling? Am I fearing you with my friends? Am I fearing you in my habits, my disciplines? Am I fearing you in my plans for the future? As you look forward and you plan for retirement, am I fearing you in my plans for retirement? Every season, aspect of our life, Lord, am I fearing you in this? I want to be your faithful. Secondly, will I love unbelievers enough to tell them about Jesus and call them to turn and trust in Him before He returns in judgment and returns all to stubble? So this is one of those reflective moments. We, lead, we read Malachi. I read Malachi, and I say, Why don't you figure it out? It's so clear. Just like ask your grandpa. And yet when I read this, and then I think of the times I'm scared to talk about Jesus, it's a reflective prayer request that I ought to be in my life. Lord would you give me boldness to talk about Jesus with my friends and neighbors and other people that I meet? Because you will come again, just as you came, the first time, you will come again. And third, I need to know others and I need to be known. I need God-fearing people in my life to hold me accountable when they see my love, worship, and ethics begin to shift away from the Lord. I need that in my life, and you need them in your life. That's a declaration we must give when we come to the book of Malachi. Israel, even her priests, had hardened their hearts. And the people were complicit in hardening their hearts as well. I need people in my life that love me enough when they see my love, my worship, and my ethics shift away from the way of the Lord to point it out to me. Even if that means they fear that hurting our relationship. We need that in our life. That's the role of the local body that God has given us. So to resolve in these next, these nine weeks to say, Lord, am I known well enough? Do I lean in and do I know my body, my, the local body well enough? So as you have your Bible, open up your pewback Bible. It's page 801. And Bud Wright, one of our elders, is going to come and read that for us, and we'll observe the Lord's Supper immediately following. So your pew Bible, that's page 801. And if our servers for our Lord's Supper wouldn't mind coming forward as well, we'll observe the Lord's Supper following the reading of the book of Malachi.
1: I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If them I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you by saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice? Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to you with such a gift From your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place. Incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand? says the Lord. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, If you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as You do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groanings, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife But divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old as in in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hard worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me and your vines in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your word have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, or of walking as is? as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming in the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction.
0: Says the word of the Lord. Two questions happen right away. Two questions to wrestle with before we observe the Lord's Supper. Number one, is my sin really that serious? Is my sin really that serious that? Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. Is my sin that serious? The Lord's Supper is a reality that yes, our sin is that serious. And grievous to a holy and just God. If you've not turned and trust in Christ, you are dead in your sin. And the God who is just will allot to you what is justly due to you. The bad news. The true news. The second question. Is the Messiah really that great? And the answer likewise is yes. The Messiah who comes to bring salvation, the Messiah Jesus who came to lay his life down on the altar, not a lamb with corruption, but a pure and holy sacrifice. The only suitable sacrifice to make sinners like us is adopted children by faith in him. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of the seriousness of our sin and the greatness of our Savior. Jesus is the one we're to come and to believe in, forsaking our life. And as believers who walk through this life is to say, Lord, pour me out for your glory. And as we sin to confess that sin, the Lord's Supper is a gift that God gives the church to gather together, to examine ourselves, to make right any needs of reconciliation in the context of his church, and to proclaim his glory until he comes again, for he will come again. He is good and he's worthy of our lives. And so the table is open to you if you are in Christ. If you've confessed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, this is for you. If you've not yet done so, this is not for you. That wouldn't make sense to do that as the, the cup and the bread pass that represent the body and blood of Christ, broken and spilled for sinners like you and I, would you consider turning and trusting Christ, making this the day of salvation and by God's grace, the next time we observe partaking, not as one who simply watches it pass, but as one who is a recipient of the grace of God, who makes us forgiven and adopts us as children. Let pray before we distribute. Oh Lord, you are worthy of our lives. We thank you that you are holy and just, and that you would not only create man, that you would not only choose Israel graciously, but God, you would love us enough to tell us the truth and the seriousness of our sin, that you would love us enough that you would send your only Son, Jesus, fully God, we take on the full nature of man and he lay his life down on the cross for us. It's in him we rest. It's in him we trust alone for forgiveness. It's in him we celebrate and we remember this new covenant of his blood. Lord, we thank you for the righteousness you call us to walk out in our daily lives as recipients of the great grace you've given us in him. It's in Jesus' name, everyone said together.